Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What is the difference between seizing an opportunity and not? The ability to take action in the face of fear and anxiety. Husband, father, and serial entrepreneur, Justin Bright, has believed in himself to start not only one, but three businesses within the last 10 years, one of which he launched last year during the COVID pandemic. Justin felt that he had something to offer in starting each of these three businesses, which are all in completely different industries and unrelated to each other. Like most entrepreneurs that I've met, Justin has this innate mindset to persist, be consistent, and have an ability to always figure things out when challenges arise, which they always do when running a small business. According to Justin, having a powerful mindset is a powerful asset. Passing the bus test, as Justin describes it, meant that he was doing everything necessary to prepare his business and family for the unfortunate day that he may not be there for both of them. A noble endeavor that was cemented by a conversation that he had with his oldest son. Please enjoy my conversation with Justin Bright. So I think the the best place to start is, I think the genesis behind uh, the podcast has been focusing on people with a lot of life transitions. And then in our earlier conversation, uh, you had mentioned you know how you got to where you're at today. Um, this interesting uh, three business three businesses you've helped develop with, along with your wife. But I think the place to start is to give our audience a little bit of background on how you ended up here from where you started from in your corporate career and how and what led you know those through those life transitions, what led you to starting your first company? Um, so yeah, straight out of college, um, I was actually an assistant golf pro, um, at Indiedwood country club, um, thought I was going to, you know, play golf the rest of my life. Uh, my wife got pregnant with our first son on our honeymoon, basically. And, um, I made $8,000 that summer and, um, I was like, well, you can't raise a kid on $8,000. So I've got to go get a big boy job. And, um, that led me into the corporate world, um, where my first job was with enterprise rent a car. And I'm going to tell you right now, anybody that's coming out of college and wants to learn and learn customer service, learn about, um, collections, selling the whole gamut of running a business. They give you that opportunity. Um, Enterprise Rent-A-Car does an absolutely amazing job of training their employees, 100%. If, if you can get past wearing a suit and washing cars and look at the opportunity, 
it's a really, really good opportunity for kids out of college. And um, I learned, I learned everything for the most part about customer service that I instill in all three of my companies today from enterprise. What, uh, Justin, what made that program unique and special? Because you're not the first person that has told me about that. I mean, it, their training program is pretty well known, but along the lines of what you just nailed, you know, hit on, can you pinpoint like a few things that made that, you know, program really stand out? Well, for it's the first place that I got sales training where they pull you to the side with other people. And if you did what they asked of you, you know, I was promoted mm-hmm. at six months to assistant manager. Uh, at eight and a half months, I was the fastest guy in Metro Detroit to branch manager. Um, but it comes down to basically their slogan, right? Their slogan is if you're not, we want every customer to be completely satisfied every single time. And, and that's how everybody is, is gauged in their branches by being completely satisfied and they're completely random surveys that they do. And pretty much everything that, um, you get graded on or how you get promoted comes down to how you sell and how you, um, how your customer service scores come back. And, um, if your customer service scores don't come back, well, you don't do well. And, you know, it's, it really teaches you that. If you want to keep customers long-term or if you want customers return or you want customers to, um, you know, to, um, you know, give you referrals, it comes from the customer service side of it. And I have built all three of my companies around that. I, again, it's very, very good. So what specifically do they, do they teach about um, selling or customer service that, that sticks out? Because, because I mean, I've run it from enterprise before and there's no hard sale or, you know, anything like that. In the last, I'll say in the last 10, 10 years, they've gone away from the real hard sell because they used to sell really hard and it's a real hard push on all their ancillary products. Um, and they've kind of gotten away from that, which I think has helped their, their, um, their customer service course too. Um, but it's, it, it's just that mindset you're going to ask the question, are you completely satisfied? You know, and you're going to, you know, make sure that you just, if you have that mindset that the customer is going to be happy, no matter what, doesn't mean if you have to write something off to make them happy, or if you have to do something extra or upgrade them or whatever it might be, find a way to make sure they're happy over, over deliver, always, always over deliver. And, and I'm not saying under promise either promise what you can do and then over deliver on that promise. So from so from enterprise, you you kind of bounced around with some some other um, corporations as well. So how did you end up in logistics, and which is the first business that you founded? Um, walk us through what what led you through that life transition to go from corporate logistics into you know well I'm going to start my own logistics firm. So. Paul in 2008, right? We all know what happened in Metro Detroit and Michigan as a whole in 2008. Um, I was working in the staffing industry and um, doing fairly well for myself. And guess what? All the jobs went away. So, so did mine. And um, so I was let go, I think June, July, somewhere in there. And um, I got an opportunity with 
another large um, um, freight broker, and they were opening a branch uh, for the first time in Michigan. Um, I was one of the first classes hired in, um, and that was, you know, I was actually I was actually sitting in a tree hunting up in northern Michigan, where you know I, where I grew up, and uh, I took the phone call, and um, I got an opportunity to make thirty thousand dollars a year. And I just needed to get back to work. And um, I, I went back to work and it was, the opportunity was great. You know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I'd never done inside sales before. I'd always done outside sales or sales management and those kind of things. So I'd never really picked up a phone and, you know, dialed for dollars, for lack of better words, right? And, um, that's exactly what it was. I thought it was funny. I'm like, who's going who's gonna to buy from you on the phone? Like, and a lot of people, it's, it's, it's amazing how many people buy from people on the phone. So, um, and, and Echo, I went to Echo Global and um, they're a, a great company, a wonderful company. Again, taught me a ton of things. Um, so what and, exactly were you selling as far as like logistics goes? So as a freight broker, what we're selling is you're basically selling your rate, customer service, um, and you're, we didn't we don't own any trucks and we don't have any of our own freight, right? So we're the middleman and we have these contracts with a lot of the LTL carriers and, you know, tens of thousands of uh, truckload carriers out there. And, you know, so we move truckload, we move LTL, um, expedite, um, you know, we can do inner Canada, we can do Canada to the U S Mexico to the U S at some point it has to touch the U S Okay. So you're, you're calling on whatever, various manufacturing companies for 100%. And, yeah. and trying to get them to um, work with you guys. And then you connect them with the in freight people. Yeah. Like a YRC, you know, or uh, RNL or Pitt, Ohio or Dayton freight or um, Roadrunner, right? These are a lot of the LTL carriers that we use, or you'll see now you'll be driving down the road and you'll start to notice them. And then you'll see like uh, a Schneider who's in a truckload carrier, or um, I'm trying to think of another one. XBO is another LTL carrier. You know, like those, like those are people that we have contracts with that we resell our rates um, back to the customer. Okay. So, does that make sense? Yeah. So those, 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 the truckload companies like XBO, they're in essence, depending on that, you're, they're basically, you're basically an extension of their sales team, if you will. Right. Yeah. Is that if, the way? If, it makes, if, it, if it makes sense for that lane for them or those, things, yeah, absolutely. Um, we help sell, you know, probably a lower margin back to them than they would have their own salespeople, but. Now you have all these extra salespeople working for you to help fill your trucks, right? So, so it's called a third-party logistics company is what we are. So you have the carrier, which is one part of that party, and then you have the customer, the second part of that party, and we're the third party to make it happen. Okay, got it. So you're working at Echo, and then what, what transpired for you to decide – maybe I should start my own firm and do this on my own. What was that? So what was that it, tipping point? The tipping point was um, Echo does a lot of things really well, but it comes back to um, um, going back to enterprise and the customer service part of it 
and understanding and the ability that enterprise gave their employees to make decisions on the go um, that I just didn't have. And, um, you know, so we're going back five years to when I was working for enterprise and, you know, I'm, I'm there and I, and I'm, I'm growing and I quickly become their, you know, the number one salesman in, in Michigan, um, you know, and I'm doing really well and I need to grow, but because they put so many other things on you, like you got to do the collections, you got to do, um, you know, the claims, you got to do all these other like ancillary things. I couldn't make my calls, couldn't make my sales calls to grow. And, you know, I, I battled with them just a little bit. Um, they really didn't want to give me a person to help do that. So I started looking and um, that's when I learned about like, I could go out and do it on my own. And I'm like, well, if I, if I can do it here, I can, I can duplicate it there. And, um, you know, it worked out really, really well, I mean, obviously, but here we are 11 years later. So with, with your firm, Brighter Logistics, and this will be the first firm that we talk about, because I, I mentioned then when we started our conversation, there's three that you, you own or own jointly with, with your wife. So with Brighter Logistics, are you doing the long, the same lines as what you were doing at, at Echo or completely it's, different? It, it's completely the same. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, Echo does exactly what I do. They have some things that they can do better than I can. I'm um, just because they're flat out bigger. Um, but I mean, for the most part, we are a direct competitor of theirs. Um, you know, I had an on-compete and I, and I followed it to a T and, um, went out and started, I did it right. You know, I followed the rules and had no issues and, you know, it's, it's the right way to do things. You know, if you feel like you can really go out and make a difference or go out and do it on your own. Um, you know, I graduated from central Michigan university with an entrepreneurship degree. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it, it has worked out in my benefit. So I hundred percent. We're just, we're, we're a direct competitor of Echo though. Okay. So, so you've had brighter logistics for 11 years now, I think you said. Yeah. August of 2010. Okay. So how has, how has COVID this last year impacted brighter logistics? What's, what's that been like? We have been on an absolute tear um, with all three companies, but with brighter logistics, Paul, we, um, uh, so March, you know, March is when everything started in 2020, right? Middle of March, basically. I had to lay off a few people. Nobody knew what was going to happen. I laid a few people off. April, they're off most of April. And um, I got aggressive in, in late April, early May. I brought everybody back. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I doubled down. I put my money where my mouth was. I hired some more people. And um I hired them in person too. On top of that, they were at the office. <laughs> um, and guess what? We have almost, we have, we've more than doubled the size of our company uh, since uh, April of last year. We are, we're an absolute tear. We're opening up, you know, 50, 60, 70 new accounts a month. And there were so many opportunities during COVID that nobody wants to talk about. Because everybody, you know, the people that didn't do well, I'm going to, I'm going to take like gyms and, um, <clears throat> and the poor guys and, uh, you know, the gyms and, and restaurants and take them out of the equation. But boy, if you, if you saw the opportunities of 2020, they were there. And, um, 
they were there big time and and I we took advantage. And can you give really can you give us a, a like a couple examples of of what those opportunities were like, Justin? So, I mean, just it was the opportunity was don't don't let the fear of what was happening in the media um, shut you down. And the media was it still is it, it, it's, it was the fear that they were instilling everybody that you couldn't work at, at your office you couldn't do this and and um everybody's everybody's small business was not doing well and everything else and it was all this and like there's nothing out there well you know we got more aggressive i hired a sales manager for the first time like because i always thought i could do it but i'm like you know what if i'm going to take this next step i'm going to take the next step and that accountability um, of my salespeople, I hired a couple more salespeople and then it just took off and it, it was just being aggressive. Paul, it was just one of those things where, um, you know, I, I know a lot of small business owners in and around Macomb County and, um, outside of ones that are in, and there's even been some restaurants, people I know that have done really, really well too, where their, their numbers were through the roof is because they didn't just shut down and, you know, um, you know, look at what's going on in the, in the market with the homes and, and the mortgages, and, um, car sales. You can't even get like there's more money in the, in the economy right now than there's ever been. And it's out there. It's just go find it. Go get it. It's, it's theirs for the taking. I mean, you can't buy a house right now that you want because it's already sold before it hits the market. Yeah. I, uh, one of my good friends who's a realtor who was over um, last evening, she, she's lost um, actually uh, Jillian Mutafis, who um, I, I had on the show uh, late last year. And I'll link to her conversation in the show notes because she went through a lot of life transitions. But you know, she gave me a couple examples where, you know, her clients are, you know, they'll they'll out they'll put fifty thousand dollars over the asking price. And get outbid because somebody the winning bid came in at a hundred thousand over the asking price, and I was talking with another family that I work with out in Arizona, and it's like this across the country because they were here in Michigan and they they moved out back to Arizona, and he was asking me what's it like in Michigan. I'm like it's the same thing. It's it, everywhere. It's yeah. So I think I was telling you when we talked the other day that my son is <clears throat> getting ready to play Division One baseball down in. Uh, Charleston Southern or Charleston Southern University down there in Charleston, South Carolina. And we're looking at buying a house down right there. And it's unreal. Like you better make a decision. And well, we're not down there. So we're like, <laughs> we can't. So we're just, we're holding tight right now until we probably move them in and go down there and do that. Right. So everywhere, I just, I, again, it just comes down to fear, I think. And um, it's, it's scary enough and has enough pressures of, of uh, being, an entrepreneur and, and doing all those things where don't let the outside sources tell you that it's even worse, right? You know, go for what you want and take, take chances. I've taken huge chances in my life. I took, we opened up this third company in 2020, September, 2020 in the middle of a, of a pandemic. Right. I mean, so I mean, you want to talk about taking some chances. I put a, you know, I, I put a, a very sizable amount of my own personal money into, uh, you know, opening up two branches of this. And that's the thing. It's like, I saw an opportunity. Am I where I want to be yet? No, but it takes time to grow a business, you know? So um, I, for anybody out there that's like listening and doing those kind of things, like, man, if you feel like you can do it, go for it. I'm helping a young man right now try to get everything in line to get his off the ground. And 
telling him he just needs to pull the trigger. So, so I, I want to come back to the story on your son. We'll kind of save that for, for hopefully the end of our conversation. But I think that the place to pivot to right now is to talk about the other two businesses that you have. And then more specifically, the relationship, um, this may sound, I don't know how this is sound, but the relationship that you have with your wife, because I find it really fascinating and interesting where I'm having a conversation with business owners and it's a husband and wife. You know, marriage is tough enough, but when you layer on the fact that you're also uh, business partners as well, <laughs> it's so, to another level. Yeah. <laughs> another level, um, Justin. I, I can't tell you, Paul, how many times I've fired her. Um, <laughs> how many times has she fired you? Yeah, she's she's way more passive than I am. Um, no, my wife, Wendy, is is an amazing human to be able to put up with, with me and be with me at, at the office. And especially when, you know, we've had our, you know, businesses have their ups and their downs. And, um, you know, when it gets tight and you don't know what's going to happen, right? So we have worked together since 2010, right? And <clears throat> that's... Um, in the same office, the same space, um, when we were getting logistics off the ground, we actually we started in our parents' basement. So add that into, uh, you know, with my in-laws, right? That's where we started. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, listen, she's, I taught her how to sell via the phone. She did an amazing job. Um, she's just a people pleaser. So it was really easy for her where she just kind of rolled in and was able to make phone calls because a lot of people don't like to call. Um, after I got her past the fear of calling, it became natural for her. And, um, you know, women do very well in the sales world if, if they can learn how to just talk to people. And um, she's, she did very well. She has a very good book of business that's still today because she finally, so the first time in 11 years, um, we're not working in the same office every day, which is interesting. So, um, but then shoot in 2018, um, I doubled down and I, uh, for the first time where she really got upset with me and, um, we started the cleaning company and that's where it got interesting. Um, logistics was rolling. I was driving down M59 and I, um, we were trying to hire somebody to clean our house because we had just let go a couple months prior to the house cleaner that we had. And I'm driving down M59 heading east. And um, I got one cleaning company passed me, another cleaning company passed me, another one cleaning me. And I was like, well, dang, it's time to start a cleaning company. Because I, I couldn't get Paul, I couldn't get anybody to come out to my house and give me a quote or even give me a quote over the phone. Nobody would even do it. They're so busy. They couldn't do it. So I said, well, there's got to be an opportunity. <clears throat> and I told my wife what I was going to do. And she goes, no, 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 no. I'm not doing it. I'm not cleaning. I'm not doing it. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, here we are almost three years later because that was August of 18. And um, so she's cleaned a lot of apartments, a lot of homes. And um, she basically had that up underneath or above our, our office manager, um, and there were a lot of fights there. There were a lot of good times. There's been a lot of good stuff too. Um, but again, she's so patient with me. Um, and I think that's what makes it work is her patience. Cause I don't have as much as she does. Um, and again, it's, it is, it is interesting. You know, it, it has been, it's been trying, but um, we try when we go home to, 
to separate it, but that doesn't always happen either. So you answered my question is, which was going to be, how did you go from logistics business to cleaning, cleaning service business? So you, you, you answered that one for me. So how has, what's COVID been like for the cleaning business? Cause have you guys still, were you guys still going into people's homes or businesses? March and April, May, really we lost a lot of homes. There were still some that we were going into. Um, we were considered essential. Um, both my companies actually at that point were considered essential. Um, and we were, but we lost a lot of homes. Um, what kept us like really moving forward is uh, staying aggressive. And um, we do a lot of apartment turnover cleans as well. So there was a lot of people still moving in and out and all that. So we were doing a ton of that. But actually in 2020, we tripled, we tripled the size of our company in 2020. It was amazing. Um, <clears throat> we, we doubled down on the amount of money we were spending uh, on marketing. Um, we have a great, so anybody out there, I'm going to give them a good plug, but if you're in the home industry or doing anything like that, I strongly recommend um, giving my guy, Tony Sintage over at Val pack a call and um, Maria over there. They've been amazing to work with. Um, we, we doubled down and sometimes even tripled, what we were spending in marketing dollars. Um, we sent so many postcards out other on, on top of that. We, we just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And we're, we're still on that path right now. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be sure to, to get his contact information and we can link that into the show notes for sure. Perfect. Yeah. Tony and Maria are great. Um, I think anybody that like that's, if they're, if you're in all your garage doors or your, you know, pest control or, you know, whatever, right. And you, something like that, they do a great job. They know what they're doing. They're on top of it. Um, the tracking that you can do to every call is unreal. Um, and again, so, but yeah, with, with cleaning, um, again, we stayed aggressive. We got, we got even more aggressive. We hired an office manager in 2020. <clears throat> so let me take a quick step back. If you don't mind real quick, like, so, sure. I, I kind of look at like entrepreneurship maybe a little bit different than some do. And this was, this was kind of run at me back about five, six years ago when somebody came into my business and said, Justin, are you a business owner or are you an entrepreneur or are you the head of a business? And I said, well, I'm the head of the business. He goes, okay, well, can you, if you got hit by a bus right now, would your business still continue to succeed. And I looked at him and I was like, holy crap, we probably wouldn't succeed. So he started taking more, more of trying to pass the bus test. I don't know if you've ever heard you know, called that, but you know, if, if your business can pass the bus test. And so we have an office manager with logistics. And then, like I said, we hired a, a sales manager. So that company, like right now I'm sitting up at uh, um, our, one of our locations for my third company. And I know that that business will still open new accounts and it will do everything. I don't have to be there. Now I I'm very, very much involved and I do a lot of stuff every day, but I could leave tomorrow and I know that they would be okay. Like it was still Like I could pass that bus test and my wife and my kids would still be okay. And that was a big step. That's where now, you know, it's really freed some stuff up. So what we did in 2020 with the cleaning company is we put an office manager in place. 
we're, I still can't pass the bus test with that company yet completely. Um, we have another, another step to be able to pass that. And that's going to be putting like a general manager in place. Right. I put a GM in place. Now, guess what? It's, it's a, it's a true running company that, you know, yes, I'm going to head it up and I'm going to have my wife, you know, make decisions and do those kind of things. But at that point, then it can run without us. Now we're no longer creating a job for ourselves. Right. It's now running a business. And um, that is my goal when I start new companies is to get it to that point. And, um, you know, it'll probably be right around three years in business for cleaning one. So we're, we're shooting for August to be able to hire a GM. Mm-hmm. So it'll be three years, you know, and then again, it'll be a business that can run itself and it pass the bus test and start to make profit with, you know, those kind of, you know, people in place. So they're expensive, you know, employees are expensive, but employees are the only way you can grow a business, but you still have to keep a very close eye on what they're doing and how they're doing it, making sure that they're doing the customer service the way I want it done because not everybody sees it the same way. So there's still a lot of training that goes involved. My office manager for, for uh, logistics, unreal. She's amazing. She's been with us 10 of the 11 years. She's amazing, but but she knows, she knows what I want. So she knows what we need to do to make things happen. That actually, this actually is a great point because it leads into my, one of my next questions was going to be, how has it been for you getting new employees? Because in working with um, businesses that I work with at Tama, it's been really difficult. And I talked to other business owners as well. And one of the big challenges right now has been getting employees. Are you facing that as well? It has been, Paul. It is... um it is unreal hard. We can we can post on Indeed and um, maybe get three resumes, maybe get five, um, and then we'll post again. And then we'll get a bunch. Uh, for the cleaning company right now, I could hire ten to fifteen people. Um, I'm trying to hire five salespeople for logistics. Um, I'm trying to hire for brighter performance recovery. I'm trying to hire a couple more people there. They, we're all in that boat. And again, I think this comes back to, you know, our government is making it way too easy for people to sit at home on their bum and not do anything. And, you know, um, that's unfortunate because like you just said, everybody that I talk to in the small business world, they all are trying to hire. There are very few that are not. Um, and it's really, really hard, really hard. And, um, and I wish now I might be a little bit different because I actually read a post today by somebody that I do some networking with. And she's like, you know, her husband runs a business and, you know, he's trying to hire people, but they're turning jobs down. I just, I don't turn anything down. I just figure it out. Right. And I'm going to continue to grow and figure it out and know that at some point it's going to open up. It's going to. Um, and when those floodgates open, I want to be at the front of that line. I want to have the most business ready to go. And, um, you know, make things happen for myself and know that I'm ready. Yeah. I think that's, that's the interesting phenomenon about this current situation is, you know, being an entrepreneur, a business owner, it is, it, it'd be really hard to turn down opportunities in business. It just, it just goes against your nature and whether you have the people or not to your point, you just figure it out. And that's, 
I feel like that's a lot of, of how I've built Tama is I've just figured it out. I, I, I try not to turn down opportunities. They got to be the right opportunities, but I don't, I have a hard time, you know, turning away somebody that I know I could help maybe because, you know, I don't have the time, like I'll figure it out. And I think that, is the exact reason that I think some people are successful and some people aren't as successful as they could be in business. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, hate on anybody for the way that they run their business because that's their business and they get to run that however they want to run it. Right. Uh, that's kind of how I view the world, right? You want to, whatever you want to do to your body, you do to your body and however you want to run your business, you do it to your business. Right. So, um, <clears throat> but I think the difference between the people that really become successful our persistence is number one. Consistency is number two. And then the ability to figure it out when you don't know what's really kind of moving and shaking, but you just figure it out. Like I knew nothing about the cleaning world. Nothing. I had zero like logistics. I knew something about it. I had some background in it. I know nothing about cleaning. And here we are, you know, almost, like I said, almost three years later and we're, we're killing it. Like am I where I want to be? Shoot not even close, you know, and I kind of had that mentality of, you know, and I think this drives some people insane about me, but I have a, a mentality of I'll probably never be satisfied. That doesn't mean I'm not happy. I'm an incredibly happy human, but I'm just not satisfied. Right. And I think that's, that's what takes certain businesses to the next level and keeps helping them get better and get better. You know, I'll turn 42 years old this year and um, you know, it might sound weird, but, for the longest time in my life, I, you know, I never felt like I was truly accomplishing what I could accomplish. I always, and I guess for lack of better words, you know, thinking that I was better than others at business or better than others. And I wasn't there and I wasn't there and I'm starting to get there. And I'm like, but now I'm starting to feel that, but now I'm getting a taste of like, like bigger success. And it just makes me that much hungrier. I am like, eat, sleep. You know, I left my son's baseball game last night. I went right straight back to the office and it's, I won't miss anything of my kids ever. I never have. I've coached them through everything. Right. And that's part of like, that's, you know, there's a long stint there where the business kind of just, just kind of just hindered there. Cause I wouldn't miss my kids stuff, but now my kids are older and I have more time. And I am like, but again, during COVID this year, I mean, from March 15th until shoot, because nobody was doing anything. My kids couldn't do anything. Um, all the way through the end of the new year, I was working hundred hour work. It's because I wanted to. It wasn't because I had to. Because I wanted to. Yeah, that's and, a big difference. Yes, and, and I think that's a big part of it. You know, with your company, Paul, you're that's you're talking about. You figured it out. Like you, you want to do better. You want like that's I persistence, consistency, and then a, the ability to kind of figure it out and have like that passion, like that true passion for what you do. And it's not even about like the industry that I'm in. I love figuring things out. Like I'm figuring out this third company right now. I'm figuring it all out. And I have some people that are driving me, uh, you know, Megan Dimmer, who is coming back to Michigan and she's running a, another chapter of Vistage here in, Mystic, in Michigan. And she's helping me figure it out. And she's pushing me to like figure out why I'm not where I want to be. Well, we're only eight months old. So we're not very old, but like she's pushing me and I need that sometimes. And I'm like digging in and like, I'm going, this is fun. 
Like, I love this. Like, I love figuring it out. Yeah, I think along those lines, Justin, if you didn't like what you were doing or had a passion behind it, you wouldn't be able to do those 100-hour work weeks. <laughs> Not even. Like, no. No, no, you couldn't. And, um, you know, I did it. I did those work weeks when I was working in the golf industry because, again, I loved it, uh, yeah. you know, back in the day. And, um, you know, but it broke down to like seven cents an hour. But, um, you know, but it was something I truly loved. And, um, you know, everybody's like always asking too today. They're like, do you, do you still play a lot of golf? I'm like, I might play five or six times a year in charity stuff because my kids are doing stuff. And I just don't have the time. And, uh, but again, if you love it or you love the process of it and you learn to learn to, or when you learn to love the process, like that's when things really happen. And that's, you know, my kids are starting to learn to love process for what they're doing. So, yeah, well, it's, it's funny because, you know, you and I are just getting to know each other and I didn't know about your golf story. And I don't know if I necessarily shared mine with you. And it's ironic that your son's going to be in Charleston because when I graduated from undergrad and at Adrian college in 98, my first job out of college was working at the ocean course at Kiwa Island. Oh, okay. And that was, that was my, my dream to, to go into golf course management. I, I knew I didn't have the game to, to, to make it on any tour or anything like that, but that's where I wanted to be. And, um, it didn't work out. And I get that question often. I ended up basically stopped playing golf. Um, and, I played, you know, maybe half a dozen rounds a year now, if I'm lucky with neighbors that, you know, push me to get out or in a charity event or something like that. So, um, we, we definitely share that common thread, but I, to me, I don't find golf and I, for longest time, I didn't find golf enjoyable because I was so competitive and I had skills and I could play at a, at a higher level. And when you don't play those skills go away and it becomes yeah. more frustrating than it is, you know, happiness. I I'm right. I, you and I are uh, two peas in a pod right there because again, my competitive nature, like I'm, yeah. I, I, it's hard to find something more competitive than I am. And it's uh, the same thing. I step on that golf course and I expect to go out and shoot 70, you know, and when I shoot 82, I'm not an overly happy human, but I, I will say as I've gotten older last, I'll say last three, four years, I've learned how to like go out and have a few beers or a few drinks and, and actually enjoy it. Um, where I've actually started walking again and then just kind of getting back to the roots and playing that way and, and actually trying to enjoy it and not play competitively. I get asked to play in like, you know, you know, cause I joined a country club for a little while cause I thought it would force me to play I, and it didn't, I didn't play anymore. I spent a lot of money to not play, <laughs> but you know, they had these, all these side games and these guys are all playing and this stuff. Oh, you got to come play with us. Blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I turned every one of them down because I knew by the end of the round, I'd want to break every club I had because I'd be losing money and that would drive me insane. And I wouldn't be having fun because it was too competitive. Like yeah. when I, when I get to a point again, back in my life where I can like, you know, play three, four times a week and practice and hit putts and do those kind of things. Yeah. Guess what? Then, then yes, maybe, maybe put me back in coach and I'll, <laughs> and I'll be ready to play. But yeah, right now I just, I, ha I know that I'm just going to go out and have fun. It's, it, it is what it is. So Let's let's pivot now into your last business, this third business that you that you've started, um, Brighter Performance Recovery, right? Yes, I get yep. that right. So yeah. tell us about what this business is, and again, how did you end up 
in this type of industry? Because <laughs> all three of your businesses are completely different industries, not related to each other at all. <laughs> they're um, all polar opposites. Um, they're completely different. Um, with the same common background, though, customer service um, is key to all of it. Um, so Brighter Performance Recovery, we offer um, cryotherapy, compression therapy, infrared sauna, oxygen bar, and Mark Pro, which is electric stim. And um, what what this is, is this is about, you know, taking care of your body and um, helping people recover from injury, helping people recover just from aches and pains as they get older, like I do, and my knee will bother me or my back or what, you know, whatever, right? So um, a couple of years ago, my oldest, um, he was a three-sport athlete up until his, until his senior year, and he was playing football second game of the season, um, trying to run through a tackle and something happened in his knee. We went and had an MRI, you know, he had a slight tear in his LCL, right? Um, talked to the doctor. I'm like, I don't want to do surgery. I think he's too young. I think I, you know, he goes, Oh, let's see what happens. So what we did is we found this place and we started doing cryotherapy and compression therapy. And, um, we had him on a, on a, treadmill running like a weightless treadmill and doing all this it was incredible we had him back on the on the football field in four weeks um that's part of being young right where you, you can, you can recuperate a little bit <laughs> um and that's where i learned about it and it was interesting as i was getting ready to start this company i was doing some research and going through my own emails and i had thought about it and i had forgotten like, about doing it then when he was doing it like i, I kind of did some research on on opening one and um and i just backed off for whatever reason and um, I wasn't aggressive at that point. Uh, an opportunity through the South Oakland A's baseball organization came where the um, the guy that runs the organization came to me. And he's like, hey, we got this extra space. What do you think? You know, who can we lease it out to? Because the, ba- the backside is all baseball here in Rochester Hills. And then the front side is where we opened our first location. And um, I looked at it and I'm like, I know exactly what this is going to be. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, I, I'm going to do it. Like I, I got this idea. Let me, and I said, and I didn't tell him like, you know, like right then, but I'm like, let me, um, let me go back and do some research. I have some ideas. And he's like, well, will you be the guy on the lease and, you know, lease the building so we can then lease back to me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, let me think about it. Give me a little bit. So I went back, Paul, I went back to my desk, drove back down to Clinton Township and sitting at my desk and I'm on eBay of all places looking at used cryo machines um, it sat open on my desk for about three hours and, um, I bought a used cryo machine that day. Um, and, uh, so I was, I was, uh, I was committed financially big time because they're not cheap. And, um, I was committed at that point And I just I, I follow my gut instinct and see what happens. Um, and again, I pulled the trigger and I think that's where a lot of people like, have these ideas about business that they're going to do something and, and they just don't pull the trigger, right? they always get stuck. So many companies get stuck in that, like that planning and, and, and thinking about it and writing out a business plan and then doing all that. And then they never pull the trigger. They just sit on it. And obviously I kind of did the same thing two years ago because I, I didn't even realize it until I started doing research and like, and I'm like, Oh yeah, I did this. And I'm like, and here I, I was two years later on boom. And I just, I went for it. I'm like, obviously it's hit me a second time. There's gotta be a reason for this. Do it. You know? Yeah. I see, I see that a lot 
with what I do and working with families on the wealth management side. And I think the other, I think the other thing to go along with what you said, Justin, is that fear, like so many people that I've talked to or worked with over the last 10 years in this, in, in the field of wealth planning, there people get so paralyzed by the fear that they don't take that first step. So it's either they're paralyzed by fear or it's analysis paralysis. Like they do, they think they have to have everything lined up before they pick up the phone to call me or to, you know, work with anybody for that matter and take that first step. And I, I completely agree with you on that. It, it, I think that's one of the more interesting things I found out about being an entrepreneur myself and speaking with people like you that are entrepreneurs and business owners is that for whatever reason, you're able to overcome that fear and, and not have to have every T crossed and, and I dotted, you know, you, you've got enough of the information. Let's go, let's roll with it. And I think that comes down to, I bet if you surveyed a hundred of those people that you've talked to that are, that are, have gotten over that fear, I would be willing to bet that it's the way that they live their life as a positive human and only allow positive things around them for as much as possible. Um, positivity is powerful. Being positive and staying in that positive mindset and um, knowing when you have people around you that are not positive and realize that they're not good for you and moving on from those people, I'd bet. I bet 90% of those out of a hundred are, um, are in that ball game and understanding the five people that are around them the most or most influential on them. And those are the people that make things happen. I would, I'm very confident in that. So I, I want to pivot now back to your, to your family life. And we, we've, We've had a really great discussion on on your businesses, and and this is this has been a great conversation. Um, I've I've learned a lot. Uh, so I know you're a big, and you've alluded to this too. Like you never missed. You have two boys, heavily involved in in, in sports. Um, you work a lot, but you never miss their events. So my dad worked a lot growing up, and um, you know it. And I don't fault him for that, that he missed a lot of the stuff, but there, you know, I wrestled and where I grew up, we had to drive two hours. Now, don't get me wrong. My dad still drove me to a lot of those things and my, with my mom and everything else. And he was around. He wasn't like he wasn't around. Like my dad was a great dad, but like, you know, he instilled some things in me like drive work ethic. And no matter what, you know, you, if you make a promise, you hold that promise no matter what. Right. And I promised myself that, Growing up, I was going to be different. Um, and then when we started these, com- the, you know, we started logistics, you know, it didn't maybe grow as fast as it should because I coached my sons. I was an assistant coach in football. I was an assistant coach in wrestling. Um, I was supposed to, like my son one year, my oldest son. So I have a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old, sophomore and a, and a senior. And um, third grade basketball, like, never interested in my kids really playing basketball because I wanted them to wrestle and they both wrestled. We were starting wrestling that year. And, but, you know, my wife put them in basketball. It was great. And it was basically about the same time that we, you know, we, we had just started logistics and um, now nah, maybe we were a year or two into it, but whatever, how that works out. But it was third grade. He's on this basketball team and I'm working. And this is when I knew things had to change. 
And, um, and my wife comes back from the first basketball practice and she goes, Justin, cause I was already coaching with T-ball and everything else, like all that stuff. And, um, you know, coach pitch baseball at that point and then into travel baseball. But like, and she goes, man, it's really bad. Their practices are really, really bad. Like, I'm like, how bad could it be? She goes to the second practice and she tells me the same thing. She comes back in the third practice and she's like, Justin, you're taking them to the next practice. There's literally kid, one kid wearing um, snow boots. There's another kid wearing soccer <laughs> shoes and they're playing <laughs> basketball. And I'm like, okay. So we go, we go to the practice and where um, I go to the practice, I'm there and I'm, I ask the coach and, you know, he's, he's 90% deaf but the guy's got like six kids and they're all running around and it's crazy. And I go to him, I'm like, listen, you need help. He goes, Oh my God, that would be great. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And it wound up that he then just kind of walked away and, <laughs> and I became the head coach. And uh, the, the interesting thing is we ended up taking that team and they became, they were undefeated and we won the, you know, the Sterling Heights championship, blah, blah, blah. And we're playing in the championship game and, uh, a kid that had like, before I even was there for practice, I'd like move teams because mom was so mad that the practice, and, and I get it. Like it wasn't good. And uh, she comes up to me after the game, like, where did you come from? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, my wife kept telling me I had to come help because it was really bad. And she's like, well, that's not fair. I mean, I'm like, what's not fair. And she goes, well, if I would have known that you were going to coach and you were going to do this with these kids, well, then I would have stayed. And I said, well, you know, I apologize. I just, I I own a business and I, I stepped in when I could. And, and that, what I'm getting at is that was the, the moment when I knew like baseball I was going to do like no matter what. And, um, but I knew I had to like not miss their stuff. Like I knew it at that point, I was a hundred percent in and there was no missing. Um, you know, if I missed one of my kids, it was because I was at the other kid's stuff. That's the only time I missed. Um, you know, so like tonight or yesterday I was at, my oldest son's baseball game and my wife was at her younger son's baseball game and we'll swap, you know? So, you know, but I've coached, I coached both, both boys in travel baseball. So I was coaching 80, 90 games a summer, you know, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it is, you know, they're each playing 40 ish and, and then having practices and then, you know, maintaining fields. And, um, you know, I coached, I helped coach their wrestling. We started a, an elite wrestling group, um, that worked out really well. And, um, you know, it just, it was important to me that they knew that I was there for them. It was, again, I get 18 years. That's what I get. I get 18 years with them. And at every step of the way, I wanted to be by their side. Um, you know, now that we're coming to the end of that, now you're starting to see, you know, the difference. Like I said, and you know, 2020, when they, when they, when they weren't, you know, playing football and they weren't playing baseball and they weren't doing anything, right? I had the opportunity to work like crazy hours. I took advantage and we grew. So it'd be interesting to see when, when my younger one gets out and I have all this time and I don't know what to do with myself, you know, it'd be interesting to see what we can accomplish, Paul. Maybe, so, maybe you go back to golf. <laughs> I, 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 I hope to get back to golf. I'd love to. So maybe we'll go play. Exactly. Yeah. We'll go play together. Yeah. That, that'd exactly. be good. Well, yeah. Hey, Justin, I know that this has been an incredible conversation. I know I, I only have you for a finite period of time. So I want to, I want to close with my, my closing question that I ask all of my guests on the podcast is, and, and you've, you've done a really great job of talking about your kids and family. So hopefully this will be a, a, a good, easy question for you. But is, it's what is the best thing about being a parent? What is the best thing about being a parent? I got maybe 
the best compliment I've ever gotten in my entire life. Maybe I think it's been a little over a week, maybe two weeks ago. Um, so my oldest son, um, Noah, he, uh, one of his assistant baseball coaches at the high school was like, you know, Noah has taken this guy pretty well. And, um, he's a younger guy and, uh, somehow he came into brighter performance and was started to ask Noah a bunch of questions about it. And, um, Noah's like, he started asking Noah about working for me. You know, what do you think your dad would, you know, you know, be open to me working for, for him. And Noah goes, my dad's always open to people, um, working for him, but you have to understand my dad. My dad is very simple when it comes to it. He goes, if you work hard for him, he will take care of you every single time. And, and it doesn't sound like much, but to me, my son understands at 17 years old that hard work will get you wherever you want to be. And if you are willing to work hard, and know that that can then translate to whatever you want in life. And, and he has done that on the baseball field in, in his physical training, in his mental training, in his everything. And that comp, that wasn't necessarily a compliment, I guess, but it was a compliment to me. And that's the only way that I heard that. And my kids understand that. Uh, my younger son has started his own um, reselling of shoes business and is making really good money. And, uh, he he understands that he's 15 years old. So I, I guess the biggest thing for me is the fact that I know that my kids understand work ethic. I know that my kids are understanding the business world. I know that my kids are understanding life mm -hmm. and not just school, right? Where I think so many people are just school, 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 school. I think I have passed the bus test now with my kids where if, if God forbid I get hit by a bus, I could leave this earth today and know that my boys and my wife will 100% be okay. 100%. Like I have, I have no fear of that anymore. And that was always a fear of mine, you know, with them it's because they mean so much to me. It's like, what would happen? Would they be ready? Will they, you know, I no longer, that is no longer a fear. So that's kind of where I'm at in my life. Like I'm just in such a great spot like with everything. It's amazing. Well, that's, that has been one of the most unique answers that, that we've gotten to that, that question. And I think it, it totally fits your personality. And I think it's a great way to, to wrap up our conversation. Justin, I can't thank you enough for being on the emotional balance sheet podcast. And I'm sure this will be just one of many, uh, conversations we have from, from here on out. So I look forward to, to many more conversations to come. Thank you, Paul. I'm, I'm, honored to be on here today and thank you for having me it's it's been a lot of fun and um if you ever have multiple guests on and we want to have a little panel discussion i'd love to do something like that so we could we could panel it out so all right that sounds like a great idea i'm, I'm always open to new ideas for the show for sure awesome thanks paul thank you for listening to this episode of the emotional balance sheet podcast please visit tamacapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.